internet what is up well here we are folks we have completed a month of podcasts so i'm feeling good about that we are well on our way and going into week five our second month we're going to kick off with a guy that i have a tremendous amount of respect for a fellow marine and a the chief editor-in-chief at black rifle coffee Logan Stark, we managed to connect while I was up in Montana teaching some firearms to a private client. Uh, he was out there shooting the uh, Total Archery Challenge up in Big Sky. So we managed to connect the dots and sit down and have a fantastic conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy it and we'll dive right into it with Logan Stark, Black Rifle Coffee. Enjoy. I know things are getting tougher when you can't get the top off the bottom of the barrel. Why don't men roar my future now? Look at fucking now. Okay, here we are. Okay, so you were just talking about headphones and how much you actually like them. Yeah. Because it puts me in the zone whenever I get ready to do a podcast, and it makes me want to do like a little coffee ASMR. Yeah. Like, do you think the the audience will like that if I just start? They will. They will. And you know what? They'll have you'll have somebody that'll <sighs> proliferate that, and it'll turn into like eight million followers on YouTube. Right? Oh, is that how that works? Have you have you do- dove into that at all? What the uh, the weird ASMR stuff? I mean, any of the weird content that happens on YouTube that gets viral and like explodes and has like millions of followers. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, a little bit, and especially like with some of these the algorithms that are in some of these new platforms like TikTok are super interesting and on stuff because the ability for people to quote unquote go viral right mm-hmm. now is probably at an all time high. Mm-hmm. Facebook used to be like this. Um, to where you could fairly easily, if you had some some good connections, some good cross pollination, and good content, you could you could get a million plus views fairly easy. And that's at least kind of I think how most people in explain virality. It's like yeah. a million plus. That was kind of like the marker hmm. for for what. But like you look at this now, and it's like, well, what does that actually mean? Because for example, like we did uh, the Star Spangled Steel video <laughs> last Fourth uh, of July. And there, all of these algorithms and platforms are constantly shifting what a view is, right? Mm-hmm. And with this one, uh, we found out it ended up getting like 10 million views on Facebook. And then when I got into the analytics of that, 1 million of those views of the 10 million were past three seconds. So only 10% of those was like anything more than like a quick thumb, like scroll and then beyond that. Uh, so like all of these platforms are like boosting their numbers just because it shows up in somebody's feed, right? So that's why they're ranking shares more than they are a comment or a like because it puts it it gives it that three second interaction with it when maybe somebody's just not even consuming it. It's just in their feed. So what was previously an impression is now a view. And so mm. that's how so like Facebook is trying to compete with TikTok with some of these new view counts is because of the fact that they are able to like say that they're giving them views when it's really just somebody barely glancing over it. I, yeah, the whole thing is super fascinating to me, but also amazingly frustrating, and I I kind of fucking hate it. Yeah, I, likewise, my yeah, friend. Yeah, because I I mean, 
it's super frustrating. And the reason that I bring up the ASMR and the 8 million viewers is because I, I was doing this. I was frustrated about like, you know, content and what was being viewed and what was not being viewed. Yeah. And, I, and, and it wasn't just mine. I was just like, there's really good content that people are producing. That's impactful, insightful, um, you know, just really good, uh, entertaining. And I, I was looking over, you know, all of these different, um, you know, different channels and whatnot. And then, uh, a friend of mine was like, do you want to see something that's really going to frustrate you? And I was like, why not? And he's like, look at this ASMR channels. And I, I had no idea what mm -hmm. it was at the time. And so I got on these channels and it's like kids eating cheeseburgers or Cheetos or potato chips or like crunching ice, drinking ice out of a Coke yeah, and crunching yeah. it. And they have 8 million followers on their channel. And I'm like, there's 8 million people out there that want to hear you mouth breathe and chew ice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, no, that's real. That's and, real. And, and then, and then the other one, I was like, this is an industry and it's a thing. Slime for kids. Did you know that that's an industry? The the slime and the whole kids YouTube phenomenon is yeah. just absolutely incredible. Like there's there's like 10, 12-year-olds that are making like a million dollars a month mm -hmm. on YouTube for like toy unboxings. Yeah. Yes, I was just going to say that next. So I'm there's like, slime. Oh, yeah. Why? Oh my God. Mm -hmm. Slime and then toy unboxing. Like un basically going to the store, buying a toy, coming back and filming the process of like opening the toy. Yeah. Million dollars. Because all these little kids will go through and they'll like watch it on video mm -hmm. or on repeat, or they'll just go from they'll they'll consume like I've watched uh, I've got young nieces mm -hmm. and like sometimes they'll just you know they're so adept at technology right right like they can pick up an iPad iPhone whatever like before they they can form like really good sentences they know how to function within the technology technological capabilities that we have today and you just watch them right. consume YouTube and it's like it feels like we're imprinting an ADD type of mentality mm -hmm. into them from like a very young age, which is incredibly worrisome to me yeah. when it comes to what the next generations are going to look like and the attention spans that they're going to have. And they'll consume like 20 videos in a matter of 60 seconds. Mm. And you just wonder like, so, so what is resonating with them? Like what are, what are they stopping on? Right. And why are they doing this? Mm-hmm. Because we we come from a completely like we didn't have this stuff when we were kids. No, you know we we didn't have this like I want it, I want it, I want it next, 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 and it's it's it'll be interesting to see where we sit in like twenty years. Mm -hmm. The internet didn't ex the internet itself did not exist when I was in high school. Like it was just starting to become a thing. Mm -hmm. I was in I was in college when Facebook opened up its algorithm to college students. Hmm. before it was like you know open to the public and stuff like that and it's funny because i remember my first impression of it like i remember my old friend from middle school called me and was like did you hear about this thing like you should get on it it's a great way to stay connected because i ended up moving away from mm -hmm. from where i went to middle school and she was like it's like you can you can put a little bio in there and you can like put upload fit pictures and like we could just stay connected i was like mm -hmm whatever like you know uh, maybe and then you start participating in this and then you like it became a way to learn about people mm -hmm. before meeting them or after you know them stay up so like there's so many great benefits to what we've got going on in social media like mm -hmm. it, it's kind of hard to say there isn't but on the other side of that coin like there's just so much attention that's getting put towards that that mm -hmm. <clears throat> we're we're 
it's literally the wild, wild west of the, this day and age to see what is going to happen and what is going to like ultimately be the outcome of this. Yeah. The digital frontier. Yeah. Kind of like Tron. It is. It is. Yeah. See, see where things go. Well, it makes me wonder because of where, I mean, uh, God, the name of it is escaping me right now, but the, the technology company that, uh, Elon Musk has is already plugging in Neuralink. Neuralink, uh, is already plugging in chips to chimps and like mm -hmm. having them interact and like use this thing. And they're interacting with screens and like, we're all, we're pretty close to having technology completely integrated with into our brains. I, I think within high end, like t 10 years, if you have the money, like there, there will be an option to be like, I'm going to get double my brain storage and you just have a chip implanted. Mm. I mean, yeah, I listened to that uh, cast that Rogan did with Elon when he talked about all of that. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's certainly intriguing. Like I, I love technology if it can be used for good, you know, but I don't like what scares me now is because I, I really have a very rudimentary understand understanding of like hacking and you know, the dark web and that universe. And so when you've got all that ugliness out there, that's in this, this, you know, the, um, the internetosphere yeah. as it were. And now we're talking about like putting that in our brains where it can be plugged in. So like now what if humans can be hacked? Like you get that Neuralink put in and now what if you're, what if you can be hacked and controlled and like go out and like, like murder people for other people? Yeah. Like, I, I think it's, it's crazy. And that's kind of our personality types, right? Yeah. To like see, like think about what the worst case scenario mm -hmm. could be. I saw this ad the other day on uh, Instagram and it was like, now you can get your business card in like uh, a chip form. Mm -hmm. Like it's a physical card, but it like essentially like a lot of people have these like link tree links on mm -hmm. their Instagram or whatever social media yep. bio to where like, here's all of my stuff. So you've got a, you've got a card and like, you just put it up to somebody's phone mm -hmm. and like they're immediately downloaded with all of your social media, all of your contact information, whatever, whatever. Right. right. So, but what if, some hacker developed a means like through their phone where they could just come up, wave their phone past your head where your Neuralink chip is and yeah. it just wipes everything. Yeah. Like, or downloads all of your thoughts or secret info or like whatever you've got, you know, that you're, you're trying to keep secure. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, so what's the <laughs> yeah. security protocols on this? Because right. it's, it doesn't seem that outlandish that something yeah. like that could be developed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he was also saying other crazy things like you can, um, we'll be able to select what spectrum we want to see in. Really? Yeah. Like you'll be able to like select settings. Like if you want to see an IR, you want to see an ultraviolet, you want to see in whatever, like your, you, you can change like the, your, the spectrums that your, your brain and your eye, like the wavelengths, light wavelengths that your eye will pick up. Like you, and be able to like change in between them. Mm -hmm. So you, you essentially, you're like turning, we're turning into predator mm, yeah. more or less. <laughs> yeah. What would you go yeah. with? Would you go like the classic, like black and white thermal? Would you like try and get that like old school predator thermal? I think I'd have like, I'd be able to switch in between modes. Like he does in the movie where he's like, boom, he's like looking in UV and then he's looking in thermal and then he's looking in IR, like all those, all the, all the spectrums. Yeah. Just, just be able to like go back and forth. Yeah. Just switch the channel. And yeah. Whatever just change doing. the channel yeah. and be able to like, yeah. Yeah. I can't see anything on IR going to thermal. Yeah. Boom. So well, dude, thank I appreciate you guys coming, you, I, you coming out and doing this, man. It's good to finally meet you for the first time for the like eighth time because you and I have walked in circles so tight. We've brushed elbows several times yeah. and we haven't had a chance to sit down and do like a good, 
a good face to face. Yeah, I know. Thanks for having me, man. And like, yeah. uh, we, we've got such a beautiful view of Montana landscape out here. And, um, man, I just, I got back from Alaska not too long ago and I, it took my brain a while to like come back to, to like come existing back. Yeah. into like an urban environment. Yeah. And I'm out here and I'm just, it's funny the reaction my body has. Like whenever I'm in the wilderness mm-hmm. now, like I just like, like exhale, like my mm-hmm. whole entire like aura mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. You're and calm. I, it just, it just comes down mm-hmm. a bit and I just feel like so incredibly relaxed and like, all right, man. All right. All right. Yeah. I went to one of my, I was driving back from Colorado a couple of days ago before I came up here and I, I stopped, uh, in Wyoming where I grew up and I went to one of my like secret hidey hole high school camping spots that is still like relatively undiscovered and, uh, went there and like camped and just by myself and just, it was so peaceful and nice. And it was like, it was really great because it, it's just a great way to like wind down. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I like live in, you know, down in Jackson. It's because it's just so, it's a small town. And yes, people complain about the the tourists and like, oh, the traffic in the summertime. But I mean, I've like, I've lived in Salt Lake. I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in Atlanta. I've lived in places where like the traffic is, is a real thing. And you'll sit in one spot on the freeway for sometimes two hours. So like, because it takes me an extra 15 minutes to get back from town, I'm just like, okay, people, whatever. But the, uh, the place, you know, uh, is just awesome. And the solitude there and those mountains are amazing. Like they're just, they're in my blood. So I love it there. It's a great, great place. And it's, you know, Wyoming's the like least populated state in the union. We have all kinds of great things going on there. Like constitutional carry, you don't need a CCW if you don't, you know, as long as you don't have any felonies, any, anybody from any state can come in and carry a firearm, which I love. Um, class three stuff's completely legal. Um, mm. you can hunt suppressed with a, I can hunt with a Mark 18. I can deer hunt and antelope hunt with a suppressed Mark 18 and like the, they, it's completely legal. 30 round mag. God bless Wyoming. Yeah. I love Wyoming. Yeah. It's amazing. No corporate taxes. Um, but before people get excited and want to start flooding into the state, uh, just know that the winners there literally kill humans. Yeah. Yeah, the, and the mountains there, like we kill on average about ten to twelve people. Like we killed more people in the mountains last year than COVID. Like we had like three COVID fatalities, and they were all like old people, like in their like eighties from the nursing home. But we killed, I think, ten or eleven really healthy, amazing people that were just there recreating because the mountains will. They're no joke. Yeah, they're absolutely no. The joke. The obligatory. I love this place. Don't come here. It's dangerous. Yes. Nature alone will murder you. If it you will. Come here. <laughs> it will. I mean, this state too is no joke. Like you get drug out of tents and eaten by bears in this state. So yeah, it's a, so if you want to come here, I'm all about that. Like there's plenty of room for everybody. Just be advised, like the average temperatures in, in January and February are, you know, negative 18 and we get about 800 inches of snowfall and there's snow on the ground about eight and a half months of the year. Yeah. Everything can kill you. Yes. Very easily. Yeah. As we were talking through that it made me think of uh I just think that it's so it's so easy to like look at the current state of life in general mm-hmm. and like you know have a negative opinion on it yeah and uh obviously last year 2020 like it was ever like it just seemed like one like negative ongoing mm-hmm. strain of everything that was going on right yeah. um but just working through this man I I am like such a grateful human just oh, I'm there for, too. for yeah. existing right like and, and i think that 
it's so rarely do we like sit down and like kind of take a, a third party look at like what we're actually existing mm -hmm. in right now. And I'm sure you feel the same way, but for me to be able, like if I was trying to explain this to like one of my ancestors who was alive 300 years ago yeah. and like, Oh yeah. So I'm getting on a, a bus, but you don't know what a bus is. So like we also invented the ability to have transportation across distances very fast, mm -hmm. but then we put wings on it and we can, cover mass amount of distances and i went to a place that is literally a thousand miles away and hunted one of the most dangerous animals that exists on the face of the planet and then two weeks later i was opening up coffee shops uh in various places across the united states and then two weeks after that i was dressing in a caveman suit hunting uh, a giant uh can of coffee that looked like a deer <laughs> They would be like, Are I you? saw your guys' caveman photo on Instagram and I was like, what are these maniacs doing? I, I, I thought it was hilarious. Man, that's a, that's the, uh, the mentality I hope uh, a lot of people have is like, um, when it, when it comes to like what I thoroughly enjoy about what we kind of have going mm -hmm. on over here is like, it is this platform and environment is like, we can be fucking crazy mm -hmm. and like, it's so enjoyable. Yeah. Well, that's what I love about the brand is you guys don't take everything. You're not taking things super, super serious. Like it doesn't have to be, we all come from serious backgrounds and did serious things at one point in time of our life, but it's now you guys are not, that's not the message. Like it's the, Hey, I, I, you know, that, um, the, uh, who, th this is who we are yeah. uh, video that you did for the, for black rifle. Like I thoroughly enjoyed that. And there was, you know, something in there that, you know, you said at the beginning, like, this is what we've done, but it's not, you know, necessarily like who we are now and like what we focus on now. And the fact that you guys can take like your services as veterans and the things that you did and spin it in a positive light. And now turn this into like a brand that's very lighthearted, very, you know, satirical and fun. Um, and still at the same time, have a measure of seriousness about what the mission is with, you know, supporting veterans and like, you know, a brand that just does, you know, really awesome stuff for a good cause. So I really enjoy how you guys have, you know, managed to capture that and, and do that. Cause I don't think many companies that I've seen besides you guys have been able to straddle that fence and do have something that's heavily satirical, but also has an air of seriousness to it as well. So for, in terms of what the mission is. So I really enjoy that about what you guys have done. Yeah. And that's like, it's, it's very strategic in the sense that uh, it was, it was purposeful for us to like, look at the spectrum of what we were trying to accomplish and be like, this is super complicated. Like this is an intense problem that we're going to need to solve here. Right. We, we need to break it down Barney style. We yeah. need to be able to apply the same principles we did when we were in the military to be able to accomplish this task. And so when we started to break it down and we started to look at it ourselves and like what we wanted to do, right. It was, and this is literally in our mission statement for what the media and content is. It, it's very simple. It's just, we inspire inform, and entertain. And if you look at everything that we're doing across the board, like everything falls under those three pillars. And that's what we try to come back to when it's the, the present series, which would, we would classify under the inspire category there. And right. then all the coffee stuff being the informational side, trying to educate people on coffee, just to have a better experience. Like how many, there's the, the coffee industry itself is billions of people, right? But most of those people drink what I would equate to gas station swill right? Which Correct. isn't a very good coffee experience. Like you, you know, you made me a pour over a few minutes ago and you were like taking your time with it. And I was like, Oh my God, like, I just love seeing that because I think that we're having a huge impact on moving those people into having a better coffee experience. And like, that's, that's a great value add. And then you add the, 
the entertainment side of things like especially in this day and age like the ability to laugh and like the need that we have to like look at everything like oh it's fucking crazy like but i really just want to have a giggle right now right and, and also have that spectrum in which you're able to do when you smash those three together in this like unique content sandwich um it allows us to also like kind of communicate the desire to expand very easily right. to where it's like all right so all right, you're, you're falling into this lane, you're falling into this lane, you're falling into this lane. And there's so many parallels back to the military, right? Like you're a machine gunner, you're a mortarman, mm -hmm. you're, you're a weapons guy, right? It's the same thing. Like, oh, you're going over here, you're going over here, you're going over here. So we can funnel more people into the larger spectrum of what we're doing very easily and give people a very specific mission and purpose as to what they're they're going to be doing with the company. And like, hey, no, go run. Like, mm -hmm. that's the other thing that... Um, when it comes to a personality basis, like we don't really go after people who like, we don't necessarily like want privates. Like we want individuals who are like going to take, uh, to use Jocko's term here, but like extreme ownership in what they're doing. Right. Like we want you to fucking carve out your own 10 acres and like own that. Right. And that's such a different, unique way to go about business. And, and I think, we just stood up like a branding division within black rifle hmm. and almost the sole specific purpose of this was to be anti-corporate to, to go away from the status quo of how everything else is being done within the corporate sphere and to disrupt, um, that eventually like you're like, as you grow, it is a constant fight to not be corporate. Yeah. So it, I was going to like, let's dive into that because that is, I've, I've, you know, I've done work with, uh, Magpul, I've done work with 511. I've done work with Surefire. I've done work with, you know, lots of companies and, and very few of them. There's a couple like Smith Optics was, I did some work with them and they were, they were like what my example of like what corporate team building and leadership. And I mean, they just did a phenomenal job over there when I was there back in like 11 to 13. But the, um, how are you guys combating that? Cause you guys have had explosive growth. Like you're what a nine figure company now. Nine. Let me do the math. I need to use toes for this one. I mean, you um, might need yeah. power mine too. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's not a small enterprise at all. And so, how do you guys combat? Because uh, obviously, you can't have. Uh, you know, we can't just bring you know a bunch of veterans in that don't have experience in certain things like finance or you right. know numbers or you know whatever whatever the 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 niches in the company are or the billets in the company that, for lack of a better term, that need that specific subject matter expertise. So then you have to bring in people from outside the culture, inside the culture. And so now how do you, how do you, how do you mitigate those things when you start to have, if you start to see drift towards big corporate company mentality, like how do you, how do you guys deal with that? Yeah. You, you almost just explained it in asking the question, but in a lot of people, as I work through uh, interviewing different people and people who have been with the company for a little bit, but are like, they, they have this question like, oh, I don't know that I'm a culture fit here. I'm like, no, stop, stop. Like, that's not the purpose of what we're doing. Like, we are trying to, like, we're sitting at roughly a 50% veteran employee rate right now. Oh, wow. That, and that's very purposeful. Yeah. What we're trying to do is that we get these subject matter experts from their perspective fields in. They come in and then they then we hire veterans to learn from these people. So, and then they learn the culture from the veterans, right? So it's this give and take of knowledge that is existing here. And sometimes that does it, it kind of slows the machine down a little bit, but 
that doesn't matter because the ultimate goal is to like provide opportunity for veterans coming into the company. It's, it's not at the end of the day, it's not about like the dollar sign that's going into it. It's like teaching people how to fish. And so to combat this corporate culture necessarily, and it's, it's not like there's a, there's a war going on necessarily, but it is this like, okay, we need structure, but, but how do we like maintain a cadence that's also fun and outside of the norm? And I, I think that's like, it's a good thing because it, it makes us have to like come together as a group on a regular basis and say, okay, like what right now, what is the priority what is the mission? Cause like when you go on deployment, you don't know what your 50th mission is going to be. No. Right. Like it, it is a constantly fluid and evolving battle space that you need to come back, rehash, come together as a team and then decide what your top priority is right now. Right. And so what I think a lot of corporate things do is like, yes, do we have like five and 10 year goals? Like, yeah, of course we do. But we're not plotting out five years in advance of like, like, I don't know what video you're going to be looking at five years from now. Right. It's, it's maintaining this, this constant like introspection into what we're doing on a regular basis where it's like, what is, what do our people need specifically right now? Like, I'm not too concerned with like, you know, what specifically is going to like be in Q4 of next year that's right. going to hit during peak season. It's like, what, what is going to resonate with our audience the most? And I think that conditions people to like, just care about other individuals on a regular basis to the perspective that that's what the priority is. It's, it's, it's this like using this wonderful medium of as coffee to have a good human experience and love what you're doing as a profession. Yeah. I mean, so like, let's, let's back up a little bit and like walk me into, cause it's, you've made a huge jump from exiting the military, going to college and then boom, you're in this company. It has explosive growth. And now in a very, very short period of time, you went from prior, you know, post-military service, college education to editor in chief of a nine figure company. And I bet you the learning curve there was absolutely like crazy. So could you back up a little bit and like walk us through that and then talk, talk a little bit about like, you know, some of the lessons that you've learned at the, at the, at different phases in growing this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, service time, Marine Corps scout sniper, uh, got out in 2011 and then, you know, kind of immediately jumped into the collegiate education system, which, uh, was something that I wish I wouldn't have done so fast. And that's what I was going to say. Like you you went from battlefield to college classroom and what was the time frame? Like two months, something like that. I got out, I got back from Afghanistan in April. I was out in July. I was sitting in a classroom in August. How did you not murder anybody with a pencil? That's, uh, it was very difficult. It was very difficult. And, And that's why like one thing I think, um, one of the huge lessons learned is like, we're all go-getters, right? And mm-hmm. we're like, next objective, next objective, next objective. Right. And like, for me, one of those things that I have to like constantly remind myself, is like, dude, take a break, man. Like, remember like what it is to be a human. Like the, you don't constantly have to like, just be so driven that you have blinders up to, to like your overall mental well-being and, and like introspection to where you are within your growth as a human. And, but I, but I did that and I ended up learning that later and I, and I took a semester off just to like relax a little bit. And I wish I would have done that way earlier. Um, and the college experience for me, uh, 
was kind of shitty. Like I, I kept jumping around between different majors, mm. um, because of the fact, like, I was just like, I, I want to just keep moving. And, and I didn't take time to like s- understand specifically what I wanted to be doing. So that took a little bit of time, but I ended up in, I know you guys are probably going to laugh at this because it, it sounds weird that this is even a, a collegiate major, but professional writing, which I would equate to uh, kind of a modern communications degree in, in the sense of like I was figuring out how to communicate with people uh, through through writing various forms of media, into a, a, which evolved into a multimedia spectrum. So this was like when I really got into this 2013, 14, 15, like I was doing projects in my collegiate classes about how ISIS was using Twitter in order to recruit and put out propaganda, which was like what I felt then. I was like, oh my God, like I can't believe I'm doing this as a college project. This is so fucking interesting. And to see how that has kind of evolved over social media throughout the course of the last seven years mm-hmm. has been super interesting. And then I, when, when I was in Afghanistan... I um I, I was kind of like looking at all of the Marines I was working with, and mm-hmm. it was that 2011 time frame, and I think we were at the GoPro 2 or 3, and a couple other guys had some off-brand head cams, and like everybody had their point-and-shoot cameras, and like the Marine Corps and the DOD like hadn't specifically like mandated like restrictions on media devices on the battlefield no. yet. So like everybody was recording everything, mm-hmm. right? And so as I was looking across this, and I don't even know why specifically I did it, but I just started collecting everybody's media. I just was like in the middle of that deployment, and I did Sangin in 2010 to 11, I, <clears throat> and because of just the amount of conflict that we were in on a regular basis, I was like, I, I knew deep down, like going through that, that it was going to be, something that was like going to make it into the history books in some way, shape or form. Like I could feel it as Mm -hmm. we were moving through that. And I, I wanted to be in positive control of as much of the media from what was actually happening as possible, just to like kind of from an archival perspective, you know? And so I've just scooped up everybody's uh, photos, video, like even the reporters that were coming and, and going on patrols with us, I would like, you know, swindle some snacks and be like, Hey, can I, can I get that stuff? And then I maintained those relationships and nice. like, ended up using that stuff in, in some of the media I put out later. Um, but I was sitting and I think like <clears throat> the whole like PTSD conversation or whatever, it's just readapting to a new environment and like figuring out how to do that. So it kind of reached ahead around the same time that I started getting into this multimedia sphere and and so, uh, and then I was also keeping in touch with my boys and like everybody kind of seemed to be going through different stuff, but everybody was like kind of struggling in some way, shape or form. Like we were, we were all going through the same thing in different ways, shapes and form. And <clears throat> we, we had the interesting perspective and what I really enjoyed about this one class that I was, it's like we had the whole semester, six months to do one thing, one project, which doesn't even happen at all anymore. Like when was the last time any human that you can think of like spent six months doing one thing outside of like, you know, people who like Matthew Frazier, who's owning the CrossFit games or, 
you know, individuals like that that are sitting atop of their game. And I think it's so anti of how we're working in today's day and age where we're trying to do so many different things all at once. But when you look at the people who really focus and settle themselves on one thing, those are the people who are at the top of their class and whatever they're doing. And so I, I had to, we pitched ideas about what we're doing. It was, it was a collective like three person team group on this. And I was like, I've got all this footage from Afghanistan. I, I really kind of want to work uh, a storyline in all this. And I'm looking at like what I'm going through with what these other people are going through. And like, I remember like looking like over at my classmates after I like pitched this idea and they're like, yeah, there, there's not even a question. We're doing that. And I was like, okay, interesting. So we developed this over the course of four months or so. And I like just, said fuck all my other classes i didn't go to any of them and i just traveled around the, the country interviewing my friends and going through all this old war footage and the the byproduct of all of that the for the 25 documentary was really um the process in which i was trying to essentially heal and then, like that's such a weird word but like there was a peak that was reached that things were either going to go super far down and reach very bottom where I was going to figure shit out. And this was the medium in which I was able to do that. And it, it tells the, the before story, during story and after story of this Afghanistan deployment. And it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I saw it, I think maybe, oh, I can't remember when I watched it. It's been a while. It's been a while since I watched it. There's three films that really impacted me in terms of like the veterans journey on the battlefield. Yours was one of them. Then uh, Restrepo was definitely mm -hmm. one of them. And then um, Tyler Gray, um, The Things That I Love That Kill Me, yep. or something to that effect. I don't know if I got that right. Um, but those three documentaries right there were super, super impactful and very well done. So I, what you guys put together was, was really good, especially you know being a fellow Marine, like watching that and being familiar with what was going on down there because my last deployment was over, in, it was up in uh, RC North, in 2010, uh, with an army special operations unit and, and, um, as a contractor. And so I had the privilege to, I did a lot of stuff around the whole country. And so I didn't spend a lot of time down in the South. Like I, we only did a few missions down in like Kandahar province, but for the most part, I got to see a lot of the country, like the West side of the country, you know, um, a bulk of what we did was in Jalalabad province. Yeah. Um, but I, having a good idea of what was going on from an intelligence perspective and like the, the enemy situation and the climate in the country, like your guys' AO was no joke at all. Like it was banging and saying, is a, is a name for a reason. Yep. It, it was a thing. It yeah. was a thing. And <clears throat> the, the kind of summary I, I like to throw out there, it's um, it was uh, like the ID development Mecca. So they were like, developing, trying a whole bunch of new stuff. And, and that's the area in which you were doing it. And then it was a perfect storm for us because the British, we took it over from the British and the 40th Royal Marines. And for the most part, and like I'm not mud sucking the Brits here, but like they developed SOPs where they just didn't patrol that much. Like they, they shifted from patrolling to setting up little tiny OPs and PBs all over the place and would kind of just observe the battle space from their specific area. Sangin is heavily vegetated. It's a farm area. 
And a lot of times due to the irrigation ditches and the vegetation that grows in that, you don't, a lot of times outside of the winter, like you don't have visibility more than 100 to 300 meters at any given time. So that allowed the development of IEDs matched with the ability to people to get close to bases for IEDs to just exist everywhere to the point where like it was kind of, it felt like every single, every single patrol we were going on, we were either hitting one or finding one. Who do you think was pushing behind the scenes, pushing the development? Because the Taliban, they're not dummies, but they're definitely an archaic, they're more of an archaic, uh, you know, fighting outfit. They're not like, so who do you think was behind the development of all of the unique placements and the unique trigger mechanisms and all the stuff that you guys were seeing? Like, who do you think was pulling the strings? Like, because in Iraq, in the early days of Iraq, like, 0405 is when the Iranian Quds forces started in infiltrating down into Iraq and they brought EFP technology with them, mm -hmm. which is when you saw a really heavy spike in IEDs, uh, primarily IEDs with the EFP technology that were slicing MRAP or, you know, up armored Humvees in half. Um, who, like, who do you think was behind the proliferation of the, of the Taliban in the South doing that? Yeah, you know, it. this is very speculative, but based on some of the people that we ended up finding and getting engagements with, I, I think it was a contingent of uh, you know Eastern Europeans down to stuff that's further south, Pakistanis moving mm -hmm. in and getting down. And <clears throat> the, the overall, like, area in which we were in, I didn't realize the history in which Sangin had in the overall uh, GWAT in that area. And going back to like 06 I was there in 10 like there was a lot of stuff happening at Sangin before was like this huge headquarters for the Taliban and had a ton of influence on the fight in Afghanistan in general evolving that out to this point where it was uh, a whole bunch of people from all over the place coming to like all right so this is this is kind of our our home base for for the engagements that we're getting in there and you you could uh you could discern based off of that, that <clears throat> it's, it's so hard to say, man, you know, it, the, the Intel that would actually make it back to our ears. Like, you know, I was, I was a corporal at the time. It was like, you'd hear whisperings, but it was so uh, hard yeah. to peg exactly yeah. where it was coming. Well, from. and the, in the Marine Corps is not really known for doing a really good job of like keeping, keeping the lower echelon troops this informed on true. what's true. going, what's going on. Yeah. Super. Yeah. We had very frustrating moments. Uh, you know, my, my time frame was like my, my big gunfight was in Fallujah in 2004 during the second invasion of the city. And, um, we didn't, unfortunately like camera technology for personal, you know, video collection wasn't a thing at that time. Like I had a little Sony Handycam mm -hmm. and I had it in a little, and we, I would try to do as much filming with it as possible. And unfortunately I like got some I think pretty decent footage in between gunfights uh, or right at the tail end of them when they were wrapping up. And then what happened was I had my, uh, I was in a uh, Humvee and I, you know, I was on the up gun and this is my Mark 19. But this is before the days of the armored cupola, you yep. know, this is 04. So like, this is before the days, like this is when we were like taking Humvees to the like motor pool and like, Hey, can you weld this piece of steel right. up here? So all I had on my Mark 19 was like that V shaped blast shield. Yeah. And then I was completely exposed from the waist up. And then, so I had the hatch open and I had my camera hanging in a, um, in its bag, it's a little sling bag on the back of the hatch. And we were moving forward and, uh, you know, starting to kick in the day, 
day's objectives off and like moving forward to our next phase line. And we were starting to pull on this intersection and an RPG came in, skipped off the hood of the Humvee, clink right off the hood and hit the wall uh, of a house, uh, the compound wall, uh, probably 20 meters away from me. Boom, goes off. I I thought I was fucked. Um, My ears are ringing, everything. I'm like, what the fuck? And then I look around and like the whole side of that Humvee got peppered. The top around me got peppered. I had holes in my blouse underneath my tricep. I had holes like right here in my blouse hanging out of the bottom of my plate carrier. And then I looked over and the chunk, there was a huge chunk off the hatch because it was just that, you know, aluminum cover hatch for the roof, uh, for the, for the shooter, for the gunner's uh, nest. And my camera, I looked and it was still there and the strap was a little fucked up, but I was like, yeah. And then I grabbed it and pulled it up and it was completely, the camera was shredded. Like a huge chunk of shrapnel went through my camera bag hit the camera, hit the fucking, uh, the, the memory card to trash the whole thing. I lost all of my Ugh. cool footage, but yeah. And then GoPros were, I don't even think GoPros existed back then, but no, oh four. Yeah. No, I think that was, that was pre pre GoPro. Yeah. And then, so I, you know, I get back and like, I'm looking at all this stuff and I, and I'm like, man, this, this deserves to be put out to the world. Like yeah, I agree. The yeah. world needs to be able to see this. Yeah. And from a larger perspective and like getting into like the theory of like why content is awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Is is because I think it can be this great divide so that we can understand and come to the point where we're like we don't fear each other. To right. Like we, we understand what other Americans go through. We've been able to see what what they've experienced through their lives through this like really cool medium. And obviously it's having a huge impact because of the way that it's grown over the course of the last decade. And when I, when I was developing this thing, it was like, like if you go back and you watch like it, the production quality is shit. Like I I didn't know what I was doing with a camera back then. And, but I think that kind of like speaks to the rawness of it. And a lot of people have commented that to me over the course of the last few years is like it feels raw and cerebral. And oh, it was. I thought it was good. It reminded me of like the Blair Witch Project of of, yeah, there you of, go. of documentary, you know, GWAT documentaries. It yeah. was like I I really enjoyed it. So yeah, and and I don't know if there was like necessarily a like huge takeaway outside of the fact that th- you you got to understand what a lot of people who you'd never hear stories from who like a lot of the public is just scared to ask questions about. Yeah. Cause I feel like we're coming out of this um, dialogue coming from Vietnam and world war two vets. And I still hear it all the time. Like, Oh, my uncle never talked about it. My grandfather never right. talked about it. Right. And I don't really think that helps bridge the divide between like who these people are and, and what they're all about. And it just happened to go, uh, the end of my semester ended in the beginning of May. And so this was like, at this time I was like, it was so impactful for me. And I felt like I was a different place in my life having gone through the production of this thing that I was like, and because I wanted to memorialize and remember the guys that we lost over there, I wanted to put it out on a public sphere and I just uploaded it to YouTube and uh, it was right around Memorial Day in, in 2015, and my roommate wakes me up. He's like, hey, yo, your face is on the front of the Detroit Free Press. And I'm like, what? 
<clears throat> and I'm like, Jesus, it like, okay. And then like two days later, it's on the front page of the USA Today. Oh, wow. And <clears throat> the amount of the response to that and we're like, what's really interesting. And I'll use an example of like how this, how this content can kind of bridge the human divide between the experiences that we have in our human existence is um, <clears throat> this woman came up to me shortly after she watched it and she was like, um, I was in a hyper abusive relationship with my husband for a very long time, like hard physical abuse. And she's like, I never had experienced any way to heal from that whatsoever. But for some reason, watching your documentary, like just made me like feel better than I ever have knowing that like other individuals have like experienced hell on earth essentially. And I was like, wow, that's so interesting that like just putting out hardship and unique experiences about being and existing can have this like exponential effect mm. across the world that ultimately help people. And I was like, after that moment, I was like, this is what I have to do. Like I, I found my purpose in life, like the ability to like positively impact other humans lives through this like video content and telling stories like it's real and it can be extrapolated much faster than it would be if I was like, you know, existing in the 1920s and I was like, you know, walking around, going to different cities, getting on a newspaper stand and like screaming about what we had done in World War One or something like that, you know. And it, I, I felt very lucky and grateful that to be put into that. And <clears throat> while I was still in Afghanistan, like towards the end, I just felt like, I wanted to start plotting my future a little bit. So I like started like designing this website, like in my, like right in the rain journal. Yeah. And I called it grunt tube. And it was like this like theory of like, okay, so like I wanted to like take what I was doing in Afghanistan and like extrapolate it in a much larger scope. And so like, <clears throat> which was essentially like telling all sorts of military stories, showcasing mm -hmm. different types of content, stuff like that. I get back from deployment and I'm like, I start looking up some websites and like start looking at different stuff. And this other company, Funker 530, had already like, like almost to the T of what I had written out in Afghanistan was doing it. Already. Polygenesis is a thing. Yeah. I've experienced it several times doing industrial design for like product development. Like I'll come up with an idea, I'll sketch it out, I'll come up with some specs, some materials, some, you know, some uh, capability. And then I'm in like the idea, still in the ideation phase and I'll go to shot show and I'll walk by and boom, there it is in somebody's booth to yep. almost the exact, exact same thing you're describing. And I'm like, Oh God. Okay. And it's something else yeah. like that, you know, this is very theoretical, but like that uh, kind of concept of the collective conscious and like mm -hmm. put, putting ideas out into the world. Like right. Anytime I have a, what I perceive to be a really good idea, I'm like, I need to do this now because yeah. you're almost they're fearful that somebody else is going to scoop it up and do it before you do. Uh, <clears throat> Well, that's why execution is king. Yeah. I, you know, in, in a product development realm, and it's something that I've learned over the last 15 years is like, good ideas, great. You've got great ideas, awesome. Can you execute them? Mm -hmm. Can you take that product from uh, the good idea in your brain and then take it all the way through ide ideation, flush it out, validate it, prototype it, test it, continue to flush it out, improve it, refine it, get it in production and get it, get it out the door. Like, can you, can you, take that whole chain and how fast can you navigate that chain? Um, and that's why like time after time after time, I'm like, okay, cool. Like I stopped getting mad because there was a point in time 
and it's very in, a very immature thought process fuck stole my idea you know or like man that's fucking bullshit or like i could have done that better you know just stupid you know immature thoughts like that and then i got to the point where i finally realized no dummy they just out executed you there's no need to get mad about it they just out executed you so if you mm. want to you know be a better designer do a better job put out better product do whatever be better at execution like get off your ass and navigate that chain that i just described faster and get it out there mm-hmm. otherwise it's your it's your fault it's nobody else's fault but your fault if you don't get up and execute in the morning so yeah and i think that's that's such a healthy thing to have rolling around in what you're doing is like right. like it speeds up the whole entire process and it it gets you that like purpose mm-hmm. that that you really need and like i feel like so many people exist in today's day and age that like they don't even really know what they want Mm-mm. which is so crazy because there's so much that you can be doing like never before in the entirety of the human experience has there been so many options for what you can do with your life right but people have too many options and they can't funnel it down to specifically what you want. And you're also watching millions of other humans do exactly what they want. And you're like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And refining that to the point where you're like, and it, it really slows up the execution process. And you're like, Oh, I'm doing this. But like that person's doing that over there. And they're like, no, you just got to shut it all off. Like you just, just get rid of every input that you could possibly have from other people and just like focus specifically on what you're doing. And after, uh, it's funny because after I, I published this thing, literally that website that was the epitome of what I had brainstormed in Afghanistan, like reaches out to me and was like, Hey, will you be a contributor for us? And I'm like, that's God, this is so weird, man. And a whole bunch of just weird life stuff started Mm -hmm. happening. Um, after putting that out there, those are called omens. Yeah. To where I was like, (laughs) follow the, follow the tea leaves. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of like that, uh, the alchemist storyline. If you've never read the alchemist, I highly recommend it because it's, it, it's kind of like the all encompassing. Dude, I just summary. talked about that on my last podcast. Oh, somebody you? asked me like, what's your favorite book? And like, I love the alchemist has been, I read it every year because it's so impactful to me about having the courage to follow your journey, follow your heart, follow your journey and go through the hardships, go through the process and stay on course with what your passion is. I mean, that, that's the message that I get out of the book. There's other messages too that I think are impactful, like about manifestation, you know, like the power of being able to manifest mm-hmm. what you're trying to do through intention, energetic intention and effort in that direction. But yeah, I love, I love that book. Yeah. I fucking love that book. And being patient right. about what you're going through too. Yeah. Like what is that? Like life gives you lemonade, lemons, make, whatever. make lemonade. Yeah. Da da da, whatever. But <clears throat> there's something to be said about like, acknowledging the situation that you're in currently and like there you can take any situation you're in and like have a good or negative perception about it Mm -hmm. and so much of that is just like trying to pull value out of what specifically you're going through at the time being patient going through it and it's so funny because that like specifically gets into the ethos of so much about being a scout sniper like the old model like suffer patiently patiently suffer Mm -hmm. like it, it is beaten into you. Right. And like, that's something else I'm always trying to do is like provide uh, value across time from the stuff that we learned in the military into what we're doing now in a profession that's opposite of what that is. And, and seeing like, Oh, those aren't military lessons. Those are life lessons and they still apply with what you're going through. And it makes, it makes becoming content in what you're doing in your current landscape so much better. Cause like, Oh God, like I was, so much better than where it was, you know? Mm-hmm. 
and the alchemist like it makes what i think that book it's for me one of the best things about it is like it gives life this, this like almost magic to where you're like oh like i'm <clears throat> this whole thing like it's not written you are in control of everything own it right and enjoy what you're going through as opposed to like looking at everything that's going on and, and just being like, Oh my God, like we need to just kill off the human race because like, we're all just little parasites existing. It's like, man, there's been so many incredible things that have happened over the, the course of the human experience. So like, it, it's incredible for me to watch. Like I, it, even in our community, man, I like look at it, like what we're doing now, the like, how many cool businesses are evolving oh, in the yeah, veteran yeah, landscape, man. Yeah. Like there's, there's, I get so much inspiration from and take so much pride and be a part of it. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, so then, so you, you get this video out and then going down the line here. So when did you get, when did you get involved with uh, black rifle and how did that go down? And then, kind of go from like the pain, go through some of the pains of scaling, like when you started and, and then you've scaled up to like present day, like go, go through some of that. Cause I feel like there's a lot of good stuff. Oh yeah. That. Oh yeah. Um, so originally like as soon as I got involved in, in Funker 530, um, the guy that runs that immediately linked me up with Jared Taylor, uh, who was, <clears throat> I don't, I, Black Rifle, this was 2000, uh, early 2015, Black Rifle hadn't even been set up. So Jared Taylor was my first uh, engagement inside of that circle. And then it was another one of those like kind of alchemist moments where mm -hmm. like this conglomerate of individuals comes together. Yeah. And there was a, <clears throat> there was a book signing for uh, 13 hours in Benghazi oh. uh, in Whitefish, Montana. So mm -hmm. Pronto showed up and it was like this collective of like all these new veteran business owners. So <clears throat> I was able to meet, Matt and Jared and Evan and Marty Scovelin, who's leading up Coffee or Die mm -hmm. magazine. It was just, it was a whole bunch of people doing different stuff in different parts of the country and in different industries. We all came together for this. That whole group is all working together now. Mm. Like we're all funneled into one specific purpose currently. So it was super interesting to like look back on that and like it's almost, it was like that that uh initial meeting in lord of the rings where everybody's like oh, right we gotta like and it was that, <laughs> that's a great analogy uh, yeah and and so it was shortly thereafter uh like evan and i hit it off and he's like hey man why don't you just come down to utah and like like we got a lot going on we'll get in the get in the groove on this stuff and black rifle those the first couple years um we had, we had a ton of growing pains, um, but the social media element to it was, was doing very well. And the algorithms back then were very co co cohesive too, because it had not been monetized the way it was essentially what TikTok is today, where it's an open faucet algorithm hmm. to where you're getting stuff in your feed that you're not necessarily subscribed to. And so there was a lot more potential to reach a whole bunch of different individuals. And so the kind of the ethos that we had around that time was from this creative perspective of like, let's just make stuff like let's just didn't matter like what the lighting situation was, what cameras we were using. Let's like, let's just 
put stuff out to the world and start this principle of sharing kind of what we're trying to do. And there were a couple of things that kind of come back and people that I meet now are like, man, I originally, if I found you guys, you guys did this like crazy commercial where like Evan's like talking about jerking off his dog and like he like drank out of a jerry can. And like, I don't really know what was going on, but it was fun and it reminded me of the military experience. Mm-hmm. And it was cohesive to just like, we were so happy to be working together as a cohesive unit and like get back into like that brotherhood and like have a, a means outside of the military in which we could like work together, make some money have fun while we were doing that and like put a good product out to the world that we were just like slinging shit against the wall. Like we were just like throwing pickles, seeing which one would fall down fastest. And then we, we were like, okay, we're, we're doing good. Like, but we need to like funnel this stuff into like certain buckets and like develop a mission statement around what we're trying to do. And, and that's where like getting into what I was talking about before with inspiring inform and entertain like really started to come about right and i remember the first time i was talking to evan about like what i wanted to bring to the table because parlaying off the documentary i was like i want to tell like i want to tell dude stories like i want to put that out there like i want people to know what the veteran experience is like what it was like to be in the military and like these awesome individuals just because i i think america deserves to know about these people are you the one that ideated the who we are series or we collectively were like, at first we were like, we didn't want to seem like we were using veterans to like push a product. So right. like we shelved that whole concept for years. And then it was <clears throat> with the advent of we, as social media grew across the country and across the world, we we're like, people wanted to know like who was behind everything from a personality standpoint and like, no, okay. Like we, we want to like, we want to communicate like who we are, right. like what we're all about and stuff like that. And it was the first one that we put out, uh, on Wally, our, our Afghani commando. That's mm-hmm. now like him and Han and doing great in Salt Lake city <clears throat> was like the, really the thing that communicated to us internally, that like we need to do this. Like we, we need to put these stories out into right. the world. Um, because of the fact that it's just, it's so damn interesting. And like, it's, it's this unique perspective. And I think people can be like, they can relate to what they're doing. And then we like, look across time, like the storyline of Crispy's, like we started developing Crispy's presents pieces. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh my God, like his, his story is so fucking incredible. And like yeah. what he's doing post service is like, this is like three. Mm-hmm. And so we started, we did like a series of three with him. And then, it, and then you look at <clears throat> like, we're very like mission oriented on this stuff because we've, we've had success with, with a lot of different types of pieces. And that's, what's really fun about this is like drawing from experiential success that you've had across time, thinking about how we can do this better. And because we're internally like our, our biggest competition with trying to constantly one up ourselves and like, how can we do this better? How can we do it bigger? And I think we've done a fairly good job of that, of like trying to raise the bar across time. The interesting thing to navigate is sometimes that like hasty shit, like we used to do in the beginning resonates more with people. And so it's this balance act that we're trying to do of, of trying to like personalize what we're doing, not seem like, Oh, we're, we're like production quality and all this stuff. It's, it's going back to uh, that constant question is like, 
we are our customers. What do we want to see? What do we want to do? And I think we're like really in the middle of that right now and getting back to a, not getting back to, but being a cohesive unit where it's like, you know, last week we threw on caveman outfits and brutally murdered a large RTD can that we, that looks like a deer. And then like <laughs> <laughs> pulled little RTD cans out of it and like drinking the coffee, like little caveman. Cause like, we just want, that's what we want to do, man. Like, because we think that's what, like, if so many different people across the community were in our positions, it's exactly what they do. They'd be right. fucking crazy veterans and like mm -hmm. have fun making content, you know? Yeah. Have some fun making some crazy satirical content. Okay, so from a leadership position now, from where you're at now as editor in chief, like what what do you think um what do you think one of your most valuable lessons learned is from where you started this endeavor to where you're at now? Yeah, that's a great question. Um I try and treat everyone the same way that Evan treated me, in the sense that like, hey man, we're gonna promote you being self driven and give you left and right lateral limits and like you run with the ball like be your own boss take that just develop and implement and put out what you're doing so that's the same type of leadership that i'm trying to do across the board is like okay what do you want to do as a person like that's always the first thing i ask is like like we were talking about earlier, like I, I want people to be thinking about specifically what they want to do. Right. And, and so it's, it's giving people this freedom with a little bit of guidance to specifically create things that are going to make them happy and like live a fulfilling existence. And that sounds like super like theory philosophical, but it works because well, it sounds like mission type orders. Yeah. What, you know, uh, mission type orders are what to do, not how to do it. Like, here's the commander's intent. You go out and form the con op and execute it. Yeah. Because we're, tr we're trying to create this existence in which um, we, we want, because of uh, the main goal to, to get a lot of people, a lot of veterans working at this company, the, in order to scale that and to grow it at the rate, which we're trying to do, that's, that's kind of the, the structure that we need to have in order to do it, where we've got little teams all over the place, developing, operating independently with commander's intent on what the larger goal is so that they can plug into it. And over the course of specifically like the last 18 months, like we've been able to, to grow that exponentially. Like um, the guy that's leading up the inspire the present stuff right now, former Marine scout sniper, silver star recipient. And he's, you know, he's working on a project right now with Clint Romasha. He's about to go to Salt Lake city to do a piece with Mike Glover. Like, and I'm, I'm as hands off as much as possible on that stuff. Like, I'm like, Hey man, like go, just go run and do it. And when you give people that freedom, it also puts the pressure on themselves. And so there's a little bit of a learning curve with that, but then the byproduct of that on the other end is that they're completely autonomous with what they're doing. And so for me sitting atop all of this stuff, it's like, it's this process of like refinement with that. And then while I'm refining, I'm developing new ones, like having like a four dimensional look where there's all these different pods everywhere, because the ultimate goal currently is the way that all these platform algorithms are ticking 
the frequency in which you need to be posting in order to hit the algorithm correctly is lower your average up your numbers. And so I'm not really keen to lowering our standard, but I, we need to up what we're doing. So if I have all these independent pods operating all over the place, feeding into one larger machine, it's going to facilitate that. From mm -hmm. So from a strategic, strategic standpoint, that's exactly what's going on behind the scenes with what we're trying to doing under that funnel of these three different types of pillars of content. Nice. Well, you guys are doing a kick-ass job of it. Um, I was going to ask you, um, because you mentioned earlier that about your bear hunt and I saw, I watched all of that unfold on social media and, and was watching you guys, you know, when you guys, I mean, you guys vanished and then you disappeared late. Cause I, I talked to Trevor pretty regularly. So yeah. you guys went up there and then came back and I started seeing the photos go up. And so my question to you is because it, I'm curious about this cause it helped me. Do you think that hunt, being able to hunt kind of feeds that? warrior hunter spirit and kind of as is kind of fills that niche of like that itch that you need to scratch you know from like being in your military time and you know being operational and being out there and hunting bad guys you know like him uh was it hemingway's old, old quote you know those who have hunted our men long enough don't care to do anything else thereafter and if they liked it they don't care to do it and so right. having that do you feel like hunting kind of scratches that itch where you're out in the, in the elements? Cause it's very much, I mean, especially if you're hunting bears, like you guys were, I mean, they can kill you. So do, do you feel like that is a, do you feel like that's kind of cathartic for you? I think it's cathartic. It itches that scratch, but beyond that, you know, specifically, I remember um, in Alaska when we, when we were, we had identified the first bear that we like were moving on. Um, we were essentially in like a sprint across the Af or across the Alaskan tundra, and we were <clears throat> packs on, like moving, and the that in like instinctual, I'm a hunter. Like it tapped into something that I feel like. It, like I'm literally getting goosebumps as I'm talking about this. So like, that's my history. Like that is in my genetic code to be doing that. And something switched in me where like, I felt like I was living the way I was supposed to be living. And so beyond itching a scratch, beyond interacting with nature, there's this connection that you get to what is ultimately being a part of the human experience and tapping into like the whole entirety of everything that we came from. And <clears throat> I look at that and it, there is so much to be said about interacting with nature that way that I, you, I've never felt like I was more a part of the ecosystem than I did when I'm doing that task. And I actively am such a proponent of like getting more people to go do that in any way, shape, and form to feel what it's like to like exist like we used to back in the right. day. And to take it a step further, like it's healing and cathartic for me because if you go through the whole process of like, you know, planning the hunt, preparing for the hunt, actually conducting the hunt, and then just being that like antenna that's just like you're, when you're out there in the woods, like you're, 
you're just your whole body becomes an antenna and you're just collecting every from every sense you're just like collecting as much information as you can you're looking for sign you're looking at the wind you know you're looking at like natural lines of drift you know like game trails you're like you're just dialed in and it's it's i love it because it puts me in a flow state when i'm out there stalking and it just i'm laser focused and there's no distractions there's just the task there's just the hunt there's just the prey in front of you um and so but the the also the, the other fulfilling part of it is just you know at the end of that when if i've been successful and i've harvested and then i go home and i'm like pulling that meat off the trigger that's a sense of satisfaction that i think more people should should you know probably experience if they're so inclined because it i don't know to me it just completes the circle and makes makes it even that much more impactful and, and awesome i it, i mean that's a perfect term i think is completing the circle to <clears throat> looking at the broad spectrum of what we're kind of existing in now like it it just feels like ants in an urban environment to where it's it's just like almost on autopilot like cattle like being funneled through just existing until they're in the ground right that going on hunts being an antenna being having this ultimate interaction with nature like i i felt like after i left alaska i was like man that was such a unique experience and I've heard authors talk about this feeling when they, when they publish a book where it was like, you're like, I, I did it. Like that was the thing I was put here on the, on the earth to do. And it was, I'm not saying like, go, like being successful on a bear hunt was what I was being on the planet to do, but it was a stage of that to where it was like having that as a part of my life. Like I felt like I had reached a new level in my experience to where I was fulfilled inside and putting together the entirety of an existing and like what you're trying to pursue. Like essentially like we're, we're trying to climb these lungs rungs on a ladder in order to fill, live a more fulfilling life. Right. And when you get mission success on one, you feel like you can move to the next. Right. And it was one of those rungs. And every single time that I've done a hunt, gone out into the wilderness and interacted with it and been successful. Like I feel like I've gotten so much more than just experiences with nature, but I feel like I lived a more complete human existence. How long have you been hunting for? Have you been hunting since you were a kid in Michigan or, or did you, is this something new that you just started or how long have you been doing it for? Like seriously, uh, not very long. Um, it was after I, after I graduated and got a couple years in, uh, with black rifle uh my buddy baker levitt was like hey i want to take you to south africa i think you'd like totally dig it and have this like really awesome experience and so i went to uh just this area north of limpopo and, and got the african experience there and it reactivated with me like you're talking about with the preparation and stuff like we were archery hunting we were rifle hunting and i just felt like i was exposed to something new in the world that i didn't know existed before and that was the thing that like really triggered me to like want to pursue that in a much larger capacity to the point where now i'm like all right, i want to plan out like the next 10 years of like the the dream hunts of like the totality of experience and, and what it's and i'm just still so new to it 
but that's part of the fun with everything like you're talking about with the preparation of the gear elements of the logistics of what you're trying to do of the mental element of what you need to put in beforehand to be successful when you get there it's very much like mission planning it is it is and it hits all those wickets that you feel like you're doing what you did before in the military but just in a different capacity and in a, in a, like you just switch lanes a little bit yeah i i think if you're a veteran out there that's listening to this and you've transitioned or you recently transitioned and you kind of feel like you have this big gap in your soul uh, and you're not a hunter or you're not familiar with it like go get involved and in, go get involved in hunting go pick up a bow go pick up a rifle pick up some books talk to some people reach out and and start pursuing that or explore you know it's not for everybody so maybe you know explore the possibility of pursuing it uh do your research but it for me it's just it's very cathartic and healing when i'm out there and and nothing puts me in my flow state faster than being on a hunt um what Likewise. is your um what's your dream hunt man what is your what is your is there one do you well, have one yeah you know i i'm i'm thinking about that uh it's kind of the the brown bear thing was was that and then um I, i'm kind of having it in this period of like rehashing kind of what what that next thing is um i was i was lucky enough to take an archery elk last year and and for me that was like one of those things mm. where i i, I want to be doing it every year um but <clears throat> I, i'm kind of just right now starting to plot out the future but I dream hunt. It's not about like taking a trophy animal for me. It's, it's more about putting myself in a difficult situation. Yeah. The experience yeah. within that experience. And so next thing is like desert muley, like hmm. super hard stocks, probably going to be a 60 plus archery shot, like going to have to be adept in tune by yourself mm -hmm. in a, in a unique hot, not, not hostile environment, but a, uh, a very difficult environment to exist in. So desert mealy is kind of the next thing up. Um, and then I, I just kind of want to like stay focused on that for right now. Cause that's coming up fairly soon and yeah. August and, uh, Oh, that's going to happen real soon. Yeah. That's next month. Yep. Yeah. Don't blink. <laughs> Don't blink. You'll be sweating your ass off on some rocks. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, mine, I want to, the next one I want to do is I'm, I got to get with Trevor cause I want to go up to Alaska and shoot a caribou. Mm -hmm. Like I, that's, that's high in the list for me is to, cause I've heard caribou is delicious and I have never, never had it, never hunted it. Um, never been on, you know, off the beaten path in Alaska. So I, I'm excited to, to check that block. And then, um, well, maybe we should, uh, maybe we should team up on that because, um, one of the things we were talking about while we were up on that bear hunt was uh, Evan's dad was actually stationed in ADAC, one oh. of the islands out on the far peninsula. Okay, yeah. And so he was running B-24 missions to bomb the Japanese back in World War II, and that was his, his home base. And so we were like, oh, let's go back to ADAC, like go visit those areas, like do that thing where you kind right. of hold up the photo to where he was then and like oh, see that would what be that awesome. looks like yeah. now. And then go after caribou up there. Yeah, I would. I would absolutely love that, man. Yeah. yeah, caribou. I don't know. I've always liked caribou, so I'm 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 excited to get get up there and do that. That was kind of the focus for this year. Um, elk tags, as usual. Like I I love. I'm the same boat you are. Like I love. I'll hunt. I'll start my season out hunting elk with 
you know, archery elk. Cause down in Wyoming, you have like, uh, you know, that the season opens and you have, I think at the beginning of the season, you have two weeks, you know, if you're just using a general tag, which is what I normally do, you, you'll have two weeks of bow hunting that you can do. And then uh, you can switch into rifle after that. If you're not successful, if you do an archery only tag, it gives you access, uh, like two weeks earlier before the rest of the season opens for general, but the archery only tag, um, if you don't get anything, then you're, you're, you got a goose egg for the year. And right. what I've seen traditionally with, for the last five years with the way the seasons have gotten kind of funky is that the elk for, at least from my experience for the past five years, don't like to start rutting when that archery only tag is going on. So I, I did it for like two years and then realized that with the kind of this shift of the seasons, and the elk started running later in the season, it was not conducive to my success. So yeah. that's why I started doing, uh, just doing general tags, but the, um, yeah, elk. And then we'll do some, probably go up to Montana and do some whitetail. I got a really nice, decent little whitetail last year on my buddy's ranch up in, um, up in whitefish. And so I'll probably go do that again. And then, uh, yeah, if we can put together something for, for Alaska to go do some caribou, I'd absolutely, absolutely love to do that. Well, that's one thing, um, Alaska in general, uh, that was coming back from there. It was my first time going and the remoteness to it, the different type of environment that you're in, um, and the way that the animals exist out there, you feel like you're going to a free range reserve Mm. that the exclusivity in which you're able to operate in that environment just not that many people get to like it's it's just there's so much required in order to make mm-hmm. that happen i don't feel like a lot of people even pursue it mm. but it's really not that difficult like but going up there like that's one thing i want to do almost every single year now kind of like the same as pursuing elk in different states and stuff like that and and doing those types of long stocks interacting with the different species up in alaska there's just it's it's one of those places where you feel like you're so small Mm. and like anytime I get to a point where I feel like I had, like I'm, I feel so small that I get to like this menial existence and you feel like all of it is kind of pointless. You like drop to this new point to where you're like, well, if that's the case, then what is the point of living? And then that next thing you go through in your brain from a philosophical standpoint is like, I just want to do whatever the fuck I want to do to make me happy and fulfilled But what does that mean? Right. Alaska is one of those things where you like, you get, it hits so many of these different wickets from the planning, the logistics, and then just that sense of adventure, man. Like when you're, when you're sitting atop of a mountain that feels like you're on a different planet and you got dropped off by a plane, there's no, in it, there's no quick in and out. There's no civilization. There's no, like you're, you're in it. Yeah. You, you have those moments where like, cause we don't do that enough where we just like take a second to like, you're not planning, you're not looking back, but like, are you happy in this, this moment? Right. Like this specific moment, are you content with your human existence in Alaska? That's where that happens. Right. So you have a pretty impactful it. spiritual little experience, didn't you? Yeah, I did, man. I, I have been saying, um, since I came back, I did the whole ayahuasca thing down in the jungle in Peru a couple of years ago. And that was extremely transformative 
for me as an individual, I learned a ton, like the short and long of it is what I like to say. Like I need hours to kind of talk through what that was like to go do that. But it's like 10 years of therapy packed into a Yeah. Did you days. do the heroic hearts? Uh, yep. Yeah. Yep. So we, I did it with them, but I did it here in the States. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's a, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. So we will, you know what, we might have to save that for a part two. And we'll, we'll, I'd love to dive into that. I, I would too. I, I love talking about it. Yeah. I, I see more and more vets doing it. I think it's fucking fantastic. I think it is a, such a wonderful way to self heal. Right. Um, but I felt the same coming back from Alaska. Oh man. That I did going down to Peru. And like, so I've been in this like very uh, self-reflective state ever since I've got back from Alaska because mm -hmm. of the, some of these same feelings I got. I'm like, okay, so what was it? Like if, if the thing where I went to go do the substance opened up this part, but I didn't do that. And I went to Alaska, I did something almost counter opposite of what I was doing before. Right. What specifically was it that like opened me up and made me feel the way I did about existing in general. And it's, it's kind of this totality of like the pursuit of growth across time intermixed with the various elements of what you're experiencing while you're doing that, like high adventure, purposeful connection to right. your instinctual roots, putting food on your table, feeling like you're on a different planet and you're like just stoked to be alive. And, and then coming back, like it was really hard for me to get back into the swing of my current profession. Cause like, dude, I live in my phone. Like I have mm -hmm. to, to be good at my job with everything yeah, that's going yeah, on. Yeah. Managing the size of the entity that you are. Yes, you do. So it was so strange to like turn my brain back on and like, I kind of hate to say it, but like my, I'm, better like when i'm in hunter mode like mm -hmm. i'm a better more fulfilled human and so wrestling that and like trying to figure out okay so how, how do i have my cake and eat it too because we're so purposeful and driven with what we're trying to do at brcc but me as an individual basis like i need to go do these things in order to like get self-fulfilled to be your best you yeah yeah and <clears throat> it's managing that balance is it's really not that difficult. It's it's just good planning and figuring out when you're going to need those breaks in life in order to like get back center, get grounded, get back at it and like be ambitious. Like I came back from Alaska and I was like, God, I'm so fucking hungry, dude. Like I just want to get after it so bad. Mm. And it's, it's interesting from a thought standpoint and a critical analysis of like, okay, so I'm actually better when I shut it all off because you have to deal with less people and it's, it's like shifting over from being a right minded individual activating that left brain to where it's like, okay, so this is the creative part. This stuff comes out when I'm doing these types of things and figuring out that process full of life to where you're like your optimized level of human. And everybody's different, man, based off of what you're trying to do. But I think that we're, I think you specifically, especially today's day and age, like you have to shut it off. You have to get away from technology. You have to get back to your roots of what it means to be a fucking human. Think about the fact that your ancestors not that long ago were hunting animals, putting that food on the plate for mm -hmm. their whole entire family and getting fulfillment about being that person. 
being able to recognize that, accomplish those tasks, work that into your current life of what you're doing, and then planning that out. No, okay, so this is the optimized version of myself. I can't just do it for six months. Like I have to plan it out for the rest of my life. Hmm. Correct. Yeah. It's, I think it's awesome that you just made that you drew that correlation between the ayahuasca and the hunting, because as I mentioned earlier, like that puts me in my, nothing puts me in my flow state faster than being out in the woods. And I mean, I love design. I nerd out on design, all facets of design and, and, you know, architecture, uh, interior design, you know, materials, like I'll touch fabrics sometimes and be like, Oh wow, that's really good. I mean, I nerd out on all facets of it. And so, and I'm super passionate about it, but I, nothing, I don't, and there will be times when I'm sketching a product and I'm super excited about it and I will get in my flow state while I'm sketching, but nothing on planet earth puts me in that state faster than just being out in the woods with nothing but the sound of nature and just focused on stalking. Like that's it for me, man. Like it's, that's the fastest way to get there. So. Yeah. And I was thinking about this on my run this morning. Um, what you just said more or less could be kind of boiled down to um, having a a healthy curiosity about things Mm -hmm. like touching materials. Like, what is this? I want to know what it is design. Like, Ooh, that what would look good with this interior design? Like how do I make this fit and flow and work well, get into a flow state easier. It's really like this healthy curiosity for life in general. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, I was like, man, I just think people lose that somewhere along the way, the way in their existence to where they get into this mundane existence to where they're doing the same thing over and over again. They're in these routines and habits and interacting where you're observing more than living, but it's not that hard and difficult to just be self-aware to the point where you're like, I want to be more curious about things or acknowledge the fact when I am curious about those things, acknowledge that it hits a certain wicket in your brain to where you get fulfillment from it. And then how do I get that into my life more often and pursue things that are going to make me happy through this curiosity and develop something cool that I'm going to be like, Oh, that's awesome. Cause for me, it doesn't like, I don't get fulfillment from like, Oh, check out my sweet house. And I don't even have a cool house, but I'm never going to get to that point. It's like, the little wickets and the, the feeling that you get along the way through that to where it's like, Oh, where was that? That's a really cool t-shirt. Like, where did that come from? Well, I was thinking about like, I really wanted to put a mini tactic squatch on an ostrich with like, you know, uh, nods. And like, I think you should have like a Chris vector and like, and you, you just have these like curiosity, like what can you come up with? Like, right. well, what are like little, little weird, silly yeah. thing is rolling around in your brain? Like I just get like a little grin and smile. Like, yeah, I, th- I put that together and that was like really cool. And yeah. Taxi squatch is awesome. It's my favorite. The, uh, yeah, I don't know what it is. Cause I, I didn't used to be that detail oriented either until like going to combat where like you have to pay attention to every single little tiny million details or you, you could die. And then, going to design school. And then I think also doing the ayahuasca, like it's, it's caused me to really slow down and do exactly what you're talking about. You know, where, what kind of material is this? Like if somebody brings me a t-shirt, like if you were to walk in and be like, Brian, check out this new t-shirt I just printed. I would look at it and I would be like, dude, sick design. That's the obvious. But then I dive into like, what type of ink is this? Is this a, you know, is this, you know, what, where did the ink come from? What, what's the fabric? Like how, how, what's the labeling on it? Like, do we have cool labels on it? Are the labels printed? Like, um, you know, uh, 
what was the ink viscosity when you you know when it when this went across the press because different types of viscosity will bring your colors out different and like i get into the million nano details yeah. of design and i nerd out on it and i love it and some people look at me like dude you're crazy like yeah. <laughs> it's just a fucking t-shirt no it's not just a t-shirt to me first of all it's a beautiful piece of art that my friend logan just came up with but it's also so much more than that and then the process on like how you came up with that idea that art created it why you chose the colors you did and then created it and made it like the whole thing like i i totally nerd out on that kind of shit well i think it um our co-ceo tom davin says this all the time but uh in another uh marine recon guy uh he was like the way you do anything is the way you do everything right and you can see that in certain individuals the way they like the way they look at the details and the attention to detail and like that's not a skill like paying attention isn't a skill it's just you do it or you don't right and you're curious about it or you're not and that can be such a good foundation for like developing something to Mm -hmm. where you're like i want to know how this happens because it hits something in my brain where i get fulfillment from it how do i get to the point where i can do that and that's just baseline living that's not like oh you don't need to go to fucking engineering school in order to get that Mm -mm. little tidbit in life you can just do it and that's where I think people make it a little bit overly complicated to where they're like, oh, I got to do this. And I got to do this. and I got to do this. Like, do you, do you really need to do that? Right. Or is that just society telling you that that's the course in which you need to take to do this? Or do you just need to like have a healthy curiosity, pay attention to detail and pursue something that gives you fulfillment? Right. And I think that's probably a good place to stop for probably. this. Cause you and I could probably go for like four more hours. What are we at here? I know we need to get you on free range American, man. Dude, I would love to. Yeah. 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 I'd love to. I stopped. So I went, I was in Texas earlier this year, went down there and, uh, was helping friends out during the whole, like the, the, uh, I had friends and family down there that when the whole blizzard, the great blizzard, the Texas blizzard came, <laughs> the but freeze freeze. People were out of like my, I have a cousin that lives down there and his, and he's, I think he's like a second cousin, but he's, um, he had his grandkids there and they live out, they live South of San Antonio ways and have like that they're out in a trailer on 10 acres and have a barn and some animals and stuff. And their, their pipes froze and they had no electricity and the kids were super cold. And so like what I did, I was up in Montana at the time I loaded up my truck and I drove down to Texas and then I have a, another really good friend of mine and she had just had a hysterectomy and she has three amazing kids, uh, boys. And, um, uh, she, she was having the same problem. So I like, I loaded up all of all, you know, truck put generators, gas cans, you know, batteries, all the things, firewood and drove through three days of blizzards to get down to Texas. And then, uh, you know, put, uh, uh, helped everybody out and then helped them fix their broken pipes and stuff after things thought out. And so I was down there for a couple of weeks, but I stopped in and saw JT and, uh, visited him and we had a, we had a good talk, but then we didn't have time to get together and do do any casting but yeah i'd love to i'd love to come on free range and do some stuff with you guys for sure we'll knock it out man. yeah i'd like to dive in i think next time let's dive into the ayahuasca stuff because yeah let's do it super super fascinating to me and so impactful and the, the main message that i just want to get out to everybody about that because anything with psychedelic drugs has a stigma attached to it that if you don't if you haven't done it or you don't understand it then you might be drawn to a negative stigma about it but so I'd really like to flip that and change the um, perception of what the process is for ayahuasca and like 
how healing it is. Cause it's, it's definitely something that's healing and not a recreational thing that you do just to get high for the fuck of it so that you can find the Smurf village or whatever. Like it's not, it's not that at all. And mm -hmm. I want to like get that message out there, especially like for veterans, like us that have, you know, been to the Valley and seen the elephant and had other people's blood on us. Like it's, it, it was, it, it's a game changer for that healing process. So I want to dive into that more with you. I do too. And I, I think we should do it with uh, JT because he just went and did. Um, yeah. He told me about that. Iboga. Yeah. And I, I really want to kind of talk about the differences between those two. And, uh, and I want to do that before I go and do it because they say like Ibogaine is the father and then ayahuasca is the mother right. and, and they're different experiences. Um, because I ultimately to parlay off of what you just said, I think, um, people need options. Pe right. People need to like have like based on what they're going through, um, they need to have as many options as possible when it comes to specifically becoming better humans uh, at their disposal in order to make correct, wise decisions. And I want to, I really want to delve into those two. I don't really have any scientific reason why, except it's like one of those things that's like hitting me like, oh, this is a good idea, like yeah. instinctual. So I think we should do that soon. Yeah, let's do it, man. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks so Thanks much for, for coming, me, man. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. This is a great talk. And then, uh, yeah, enjoy your uh, tax shoot today. I will. And I'm going to go teach this pistol course, and then we will, I'll be in touch, and we'll circle back around and get some time on the books. Yeah, really appreciate it, man. Awesome, man. Well, there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast as much as I enjoyed sitting down with Logan. Looking forward to getting down to Texas to see those guys again, doing all the free range American things. Stay tuned for that. And we're going to keep moving this thing down the road. Weapons Free Wednesday's coming at you on Wednesday. Enjoy and everyone have a fantastic week and we'll catch you then. Peace.